I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew members, and theatre administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Brittany Harris, an assistant professor of theater in the Department of Communication and Theater Arts at Old Dominion University. Her areas of expertise are in race and performance, theater for social change, and performative community-engaged programming, examining the concept of race as a celebration of self, culture, and artistic expression. Throughout Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, and DC, Brittany has created several community engagement-based theater projects and conducted workshops on solo performance development and devised theater. Currently, she is workshopping and touring her two solo performance projects, The Intersection, The Sandra Bland Project, and Being Bad. Each project explores the adverse effects of violence and social media on the personal psyche and how narrative-based storytelling is used as a vessel for social resilience and redemption. She holds a Master of Fine Arts in Acting from the University of Georgia. Hi, Brittany. Hey, 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 Stephen. How's it going? I'm fine. How are you? I'm so glad that you're able to join us on American Theater Artists Online. We're so glad to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hanging in there. I think with some of the restrictions being lifted, it's so nice to see some faces outside of my own walls and mirrors. So, yeah, I'm hanging in there. And you're in the, where are you speaking to us from? Yeah, so I'm based out of Norfolk, Virginia, so like Hampton Roads, right where the Virginia Beach area is. So there's um, a lot of beautiful culture here, not only just with the 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 life that brings in the military, but also the arts a little bit, um, but also just a bunch of like history just about Virginia in general. But um, this area is pretty unique just because of just the kind of growth and expansion that it's had over the last few years as it's bringing in, like I said, new appreciation for the arts, especially we have like a new arts district here that's not just in performance arts, but also visual dance and all of that. So yeah, and so good old Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad things are going well there. It's Norfolk's a great a great city. I've, I've been there several times and I really enjoy yeah. it. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you do. So I've done, you know, in the intro, people can hear a little bit about your work, but, but really I think it needs to come from you to explain what it is that you do in terms of this work that you do. And I know you do a lot of different things, uh, but around your community, yeah. your community engagement and your, your, what you do with your theater for social change. Sure, absolutely. So um, my background is specifically um, in race 
aspiration performance and solo performance. And um, I like to look at something called like performance of redemption um, and also resilience or resistance. So what does that look like to use the body? Um, and that can just be the performer and not just an actor, but the performer. And how can you use that as a tool uh, to amplify a voice or a narrative that has not been heard? Um, so I think there's uh, sometimes... Um, a stigma or that comes along with, you know, theater is like, oh, it's just for purely entertainment. Is there, there's a practice in it. There's a, there's a formality. There's a method to it. I would say a method to the madness. There's pedagogies. There's things that we study. There's research. And um, a lot of my work is, is based in something called theater for social change and also theater of the oppressed. And there are methods and um, activities and practices that we um, utilize in order to get the story out there to activate the material to activate the story to um, engage the community because this type of work that sets it apart from most just pieces of theater that could be used for entertainment which is nothing wrong with that um, is the fact that it is meant for dialogue this work is meant to be talked about after maybe even during the performance that we no longer just have a spectator but a spect actor that mm -hmm. can be engaged with the performers uh, but this work is about influencing dialogue um that can be a proactive change not just a passive i sat down oh that was lovely and it makes you think afterwards but what are you thinking about and what does this work help um incite or provoke and this work that I do leads for people to be able to leave the piece of theater or leave the theater world and say wow this is how I could use a piece of theater to raise awareness about this that the other and the third rather than just sitting and being a patron of it I see so, so yeah my work so you don't want audiences, <laughs> sorry. So you don't want audiences to be passive. You want audiences to, to watch what you've created and then go out and effect change and do some sort of, you know, have some action from it. Is that it? Exactly. It's like um, this type of work, like explores how like the performing arts can be used to like point out attitudes and social mindsets, right? And then also, like I said, just engage the audience. But in the end, is about that reflection piece. Like I... Uh, most likely out of all of my performances at the end, I do, I always leave time for dialogue to speak about what you're feeling, that first initial feeling from this work that can be provoked. Um, so it does ask for more involvement than, you know, sitting and, and being entertained, but also being entertained and influenced mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And so do you do talkbacks after all your shows or some of your shows? <laughs> Yeah, we do. Um, some of the best is when you have like a, a mixture of people in the audience. You have some teens in there, maybe some elders. Um, and then also just in um, education background, I, I work in academia. So imagine that I do have students who have to come see these shows because they have to see it for credit for class. But then also academics that are seeing a piece of theater that's not just from their colleague, but a piece of theater that invokes for them to have to challenge their own mindset as well um, or just regular patrons from the area that want to see a piece of theater that they may not understand by the title but they've read reviews or they've read the synopsis and they come in and they're transformed by this experience and then this dialogue and the talk back in the end you can hear these varying point of views and how it's facilitated and led the talk back that is provides a space and this is what I do as a performer, provide a space for the performer 
to feel like they don't have to be limited by their own socioeconomic background, their demographic of, of race or gender or whatnot, but also provide that to the audience as well. So it's um, as much as we want to say it's bias free, but it is in a place that you can bring your bias and your explanation and your background, but also in that you can be considerate and consider the other views as well. Interesting. So you're expanding the perhaps the views of the audience, which is, is good as well. So they're coming in with one view and they might leave with a different one. So let's talk a bit about uh, specifically about some of you, these actual um, solo projects. So there's one that really uh, caught my eye and you talked about it a couple of years ago when I first met you. And um, it's really a fascinating project, which is uh, the intersection, the Sandra Bland project. Can you talk about that? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, so that was my, my first project. I um, It burst out of grad school. Um, I was in my second year of grad school, and Grace of while, it's an amazing three-year program that you know, really pushes you as a professional acting training program. Like, so it's going to get you ready for the, the performance world if you want to go into that. The roles that I was being placed in were weren't actually speaking to my aesthetic as a black woman, a black woman performer, there were strong roles, you know, I Mm -hmm. got to explore different languages and and, and different dialects and different approaches and and all of that. That was great. But sometimes my narratives are just as expansive. My, my, Mm -hmm. my, my background, my history, my culture is as well. And I just felt like there was a a lack of that. So in Mm -hmm. that sense, I was already in a mindset of kind of feeling, um, creatively um, uh, like unkept like I was like I feel like there's something I'm missing here nonetheless it was right around the first or um, actually second year of um, no the, the one year anniversary there it is uh, of Sandra Bland's unfortunate death and her name was just popping across the timelines this is you know news fees are being filled with it Twitter mm. Instagram and it you know it's like hashtag say her name hashtag say her name Truthfully, all I really knew were the facts that was presented right in front of me yeah. um, about her. But and then for I those, would admit. For those who may not know, I don't know, I'm sure probably everyone does, but can you give a basic rundown of what happened to Sandra Bland? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so uh, she considered, after the fact, unfortunately, she was an advocate for uh, racial justice. Uh, and so she was um, a young woman um, aged uh, in her late 20s um and she was <clears throat> pulled over during like a routine traffic stop she failed to put on a signal at an intersection she failed to turn mm-hmm. um she was then pulled over um and i think this was on june 10th uh, july pardon me july 10th she was pulled over um and the traffic stop then went from a simple being pulled over to her being basically yanked out the car mm-hmm. uh yeah and uh, then apprehended. And then after about three days of her being apprehended, she was found hanging in her jail cell on July 13, 2015. And, and there are plenty of commentaries and news uh, periodicals and, and archival work that can really give the details right now about it if you want to look into it. However, what was really jarring is the circumstances. Um, that she was found after the footage from her jail cell had been completely cut. Mm. And the only thing that you saw was that her body was found hanging. You could not see what led up to that event. Yeah. Um, and what was really fascinating about her is that um, 
she was like this vividly uh, talented and expressive humanitarian, but she also was played with a lot of societal expectations. She had a um, vlog called Sandy Speaks that she would talk about these issues of dealing with living. She grew up in Chicago, then she was moving to Texas and her own bouts with mental illness and all of that. And I found her incredibly, um, what is the word, brave. Mm. And that's kind of what led to me to create the intersection because you had news outlets, um, seven that was painting her as a martyr mm. from like the hashtag Black Lives Matter movement. And you had people painting her as a menace. Well, look at that. She got pulled over multiple times. Even she got, mm-hmm. you know, before she got pulled over. But then I saw her as a mirror. I saw this, this mm. that trope of that unbreakable black woman. I saw that in myself. I was doing it in my own grad school program, not trying to be too belligerent, sitting on my feelings. And when I would express it, mm. it would come off combative. And I, and I, I really yeah. felt connected to her so the piece was birthed out of um a dramatization of those final moments they say that before you die your life flashes before your eyes if you will so because of my work is is delved in something called activist theater so i knew my work would be creating some type of dialogue afterwards um i do uh, do something that is uh, kind of like a dramatization of actual facts. So I had to do part research of making sure that, you know, I understood a lot of her uh, biography Mm -hmm. Um, on top of my response to who she was. So she was sort of a vessel for me as a character for me to use my own voice. Like she would use her platform to be a voice for others. She was a voice for me. So in creating this piece, um, me and her became a singular voice Mm. and Afterwards, the I provided like an open forum and conversation to talk about those adverse effects of the social media sure. of watching police brutality in the African American community, especially with millennials and dealing with mental health awareness and all the stigmas around it. I mean, it was just so compelling and so deep when I just took the time to research something and not just get fed from my news feed, not just looking mm-hmm. at those black and white, but breathing life into that black and white. Sure. So that's how I ended up creating the show. Um, it took me about four months to develop it. Mm. Um, I ended up not directing it this time. I had a, brought on a colleague of mine to direct it. Um, but the piece itself uh, ha- has now been a, a way that I've noticed how to take what's happening in the headlines and extend it beyond that page. What can we do to make these narratives a living epitaph? How do we keep them alive? We say their name, but how do we embody their name? Yeah. How do we live to make sure their legacy lasts? Mm-hmm. And that has been an honor to be able to even um, work on this project and, and have her name um, even in the same sentence as mine. So how did you first get involved in this type of theater? And you mentioned a bit where you were in grad school and you were looking for material that spoke to you, to your uh, experience in this world. And did you know about Devise? I mean, I guess, did you know about Devise Theater? Did you know, I mean, how did you go about, did you do a lot of playwriting preparation or did you just- Sure, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, You know what's really funny? (laughs) I I still have an issue in calling myself a a playwright only because I've never, and I have nothing against people who just do stuff on the one, but I I believe in the, the art of studying and understanding something Sure. I believe there's a discipline to all of these crafts, you know. So, yeah. personally, I am just really good at dialogue. I, I, I don't know if it's the, the duality of being an actor half my life. I can play different roles in my head or I don't sure. know. But what really came out of devising the piece 
was a call and response manner that kind of came from growing up in the church you know my pastor would say say amen amen that kind of call back thing Mm -hmm. and what started to become of this was me doing a call and response to these articles I was reading um Mm -hmm. And that is how the dialogue and the script can be developed. When it comes to devising theater, you know, it really can't just come from a theme. It come from a a familiar topic or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, I always start with some underlining questions. I ask myself, what do I know about this topic? What do I want to know about this topic? And Hmm. from there, I start from, speaking about if I know about this topic, how do I speak from it, an expert point of view versus a novice point of view? And what does that look like? Right there was a foundational tool for script development for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's usually how I start to devise pieces from scratch. There's something that speaks to me aesthetically. A lot of my work is narrative based. So I am looking at the story. I am looking, it doesn't have to be a linear story, but there is something being told. There is a narrative being spoken about in two. Um, So my, my, my work is about that singular voice, not a single story but a singular voice um, that can be used as a vessel to represent multiple points of views, multiple perspectives, multiple stories. So that's usually how I got into devising work. Now in grad school, of course we had classes that kind of led in that process, but it really was this, this idea of working on several plays growing up that were started from scratch with other directors and contributing my perspective and my expertise to these topics so I, I can honestly I don't have any formal kind of training about it but I do have an understanding about that playwriting structure right. um, and I applied that to the idea of how to build narratives based off those kind of underlining questions well yeah and you know nobody ever questions really I mean you know like when, when you think of other playwrights who perhaps write uh, work that is not based on something that happened you know, in real life, nobody questions necessarily how how many classes they took or how much uh, you know <laughs> academic preparation. It's it's what's on the page and it's what's on the stage and how it affects people. Yeah, I love it. And you know, um, Anna Devere Smith, as you I'm mm-hmm. sure know yes. from Twilight Los Angeles and from uh, what's the Fires in the Mirror. Who Fires I, I, in the Mirror? Yeah, she mm-hmm. did a similar kind of thing, and nobody questions whether she's a playwright. It's amazing what she's put together by listening to others and interviewing and reading and researching. Right. So that's where did okay. you did you do mostly research uh, like in the newspaper and online and on, on social media, Love it. or did you do did you interview people as well at all, or was that not part of this process? Yeah. Love it. Yeah, it was actually, um, how can I start this? So at first it was periodicals mm-hmm. and it was um, like with Anna DeVere and her work, she had the actual source material. Yes. You know, she was actually, she went into Los Angeles. She was in Crown Heights. Yes. And, you know, so she was interviewing people. With me, I had these vlogs that she had a nice, beautiful handful of. Sandra Bland had a handful of, as well as multiple varying (laughs) perspectives in all these articles about her. Um, A lot of it was delineating, you know, what is the author's voice here? How is this being written? And what am I supposed to perceive from this? Um, And then once I did the project and I had uh, my first stage reading, um, I found myself really struggling to continue to perform the piece. This is where that reflection piece comes in, Hmm. that response piece. Um, Why so? Embodying, yeah, embodying Sandra 
and I know this sounds like really like, uh, but it, it really is almost in the sense of embodying her trauma as well as dealing with my own. And while it can release some things for me, like I know I'm giving her voice more resonance and weight. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a weight that comes with that because she is a real person. It is not some fictionalized person. This is an actual being that I want to make sure I'm respecting in every in every way. Yeah. So from there, um, I remember before I wanted to uh, I wanted to go to the Dramatist Guild and, and, and get this you know registered and all that. I reached out to um, a very weird story. I'm not going to bore you with it, but no, I ended fine. up finding some friends who were some of her sorority sisters Ah, that I was able to speak to Mm -hmm. and share some pieces of the script. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you one thing that was really remarkable. They said, you have no idea how many people come and ask us questions about Sandy. You have mm. no idea how many people are not like not exploiting her story, but I mean, really would sit down and want to pay them money out the money to, to just ask them questions about her. Yeah, and when I came with this person, right, right. And when I came to them with the script and I said, you don't understand how this was um, almost therapeutic for mm. me to be able to create the script. Um, yeah. It was a different perspective. And, and so I did have a little bit of interview, but most of it, was um, from what I was able to pull from the research that I found about her when it came down to, to the performance of her um, it, it was a, a lot of um, I, I wouldn't say imi- like I wasn't trying to imitate her but I wanted to embody an essence there was a strength to her so it wasn't necessarily in her voice her physicality but it was in her cadence mm-hmm. how she said things um, her levity she always found a way to make something funny and laugh something light. Mm. Um, I remember the first time I performed this piece <laughs> um, and I got feedback from the audience. The very first response I got from the audience was, I felt taken care of watching mm. this show because I gave a nice little biography of what happened mm-hmm. in the program and it's intense, it's heavy. I start the show with showing an abridged version of the traffic stop. Mm. And then the very first thing I do on stage is make a joke in essence of what's happening and you and you can feel the audience going okay uh, she's not trying to you know it's one of those right. like you can receive it now it still doesn't take away from what we know what happens in the end but it does allow for an atmosphere and that's how sandy won and sandy wasn't she never got on that her vlog and it was like you know trying to preach at people or put people but she was just trying to talk about a perspective a, a varying perspective and opening your eyes and i related to that in her mm-hmm. and so i wanted to capture that essence in the show so it was a little bit of like doing some research as well as some interviews to build the show that's amazing um you know and i think that you're taking care of the audience like that by including some comedy and you know when you write those kind of pieces there has to be some comedy otherwise it's too heavy for the audience uh and it balances out and i think the comedy helps prepare the audience to then take in the deeper message uh they relax yes. a little bit right and as the, that's playwriting right there you figured that out so obviously you know you understand playwriting <laughs> that's what playwrights smart playwrights do so so tell me a little bit about you know you, you just mentioned earlier this is now five years uh, since the the incident, right, for the, the, yeah. the with Sandra and and her death, um, the and your work is now a lot has changed in five years in the United States, oh. and and yes. <laughs> that's an understatement. And and your work fits perfectly right now in this moment of social change and the Black Lives Matter movement. 
Um, so are you energized by this? What are you feeling? Have you been able to perform this recently? And how would it, do you think it would be perceived differently today than it was when you first started doing it? Oh, great question, because you know about maybe a year ago, a little bit less than that, there was new evidence that came out. They released a video from Sandra that she started recording during the traffic stop incident that just her sister released it last year. So yeah. my, my piece changed. Sure. The piece itself changed. Um, but in, in, in that regard of what's happening now, um, I kind of go back to the piece of... This piece was very therapeutic to do and to write, um, but the idea of performing it does carry a little weight for me. And I think it is because of that that unbreakable black woman, that strong woman, that we don't have conversations about what depression and anxiety looks like. Mm. This idea of performing this piece that I'm still living very much a part of right now, sure. the, I, it is a little too close to home, if you will. Ah. Yes. about it there's something very beautiful about um the technicality of studying our craft so we know how to take care of ourselves and in one way of that is just leaving the material alone however i have been able to put that on paper and talk about the development and how i created this piece and with that i have been um to several conferences the most recent one was the um mid um mid america or mid-atlantic um matc i can't remember what they stand for right now in chicago this past year and i was able to speak about how this type of work can be seen as theater for redemption um yeah. this redeeming quality of of not just leaving a voice on the page bringing it to the stage you know so mm. it has been rewarding in that regards but now with everything going on um it is very imperative i would love to give this story and give this piece to someone to perform i, was gonna I say. would love for it to be yeah, you'd be okay with other people, with other actors yes, performing this absolutely. piece. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I'll be fine with it being a stage reading. I'll be fine with someone performing it. That's that's another reason why I wanted to go through like the whole dramatist guild. I wanted to register it. I wanted it to be available. That was something that came up when I spoke at the Black Theater Network last year about this paper. They said this piece needs to be out there, mm -hmm. and I realized like. That is something very unique as playwrights. I think sometimes when we're in this process of de devising, we always believe the work is never done, right? It's about the process, not the product. And I don't know, Stephen, I think I'm afraid to say that this is a product now. It's <laughs> not, it has not, because it hasn't stopped. Right. There's still change going on there. We, we are yeah. still finding out more information. Say her name. There's more, there's more names that could be said. I mean, there's sure. so much, yeah. but I do know. <laughs> I know. But I, but I do, but I, but I do believe that this is something that, that should be heard and if not for her narrative but for this kind of process you never know if this kind of work the style that I created to build this could work for someone who is dealing with their own bouts of like depression or mm -hmm. anxiety based yeah. on what's happening right now yeah. you, you know and, and I that's another reason why I mean I know we haven't shifted there but why I do my workshop um, mm -hmm. And we, we can talk about flying solo in a bit, yeah. but just understand that, you know, that mm -hmm. type of work, um, the narrative based work is very intimate work because it is coming from your perspective. It may not be your voice speaking it as in the character, yeah. but it is your perspective and how introspective the intersection was for me to work through and I process through things. I do know the importance of this type of 
work and the development of this kind of work. And, and that is why, you know, I do my workshops to, and I hate to use this word, but to give people permission to feel. No, no, of course. Outside of these, you know, our posts that we put on online or pictures, mm. but maybe on a larger scale, that amplification again of the voice. Um, yeah, that's, that's why I do my workshops. So what, um, in terms of, um, the audiences that come to um, see mm-hmm. the shows when you were doing it yourself and and oh before I even go there you said is the work has the work been registered if someone is interested in doing the intersection yes, yes it is mm-hmm. well how do they go about if they're interested in doing the intersection the Sandra Bland project which is the title right um, what what do they do do they contact dramatist publishers or what what is her what is the sure so it's not through the publisher it's through the guild so the guild register ah. it so that means the piece is is now officially on their registry. Um, I believe because I am still the owner of it, I think I'm the primary contact. It has not been published yet, but it is registered. However, if someone did want to, they could reach out to me directly and I can be reached through my my website as well through my email address. And I'm pretty sure you might list that down there. But yeah, I can be reached if someone wants to discuss about producing the show in, in any kind of capacity. It can be in a, a reader's theater. It can be in a Zoom reading because mm-hmm. it's some really cool pieces. I just thought about mm-hmm. it while we were talking. This sure. piece could be done Zoom because it's um, it's the props kind of propelled the story mm-hmm. along. Right. Um, it's a, like I said, it was a, it's a story that they say your life lies before your eyes. So I, it's a fictionalized of her last hour alive. So oh, it's wow. a, about a 45 minute show and you grow up with Sandra. You grow up with her in the streets of Chicago all the way up into the moment in the jail cell. And you, mm. you hear about her, her, you know, her interesting and for, um, relationship with her family, her, um, and her, her ways of self-medicating sometimes with maybe marijuana or experimenting with Mm. that her having these big dreams graduating from college only to find that things don't play out the way that you perceive Mm. moving back and forth i mean there's so many different things there and i think it could be an interesting piece to see uh performed um on zoom as well so if anyone's interested you reach out to me for sure. Okay, uh, great. Well, we'll make sure we'll give your contacts at the end for sure, so people can do that yeah. and on your website. But um, so, what have you noticed that there have been sort of different audiences reacting, obviously differently to your work? Um, and do you notice that race plays a part in the audience reaction? So uh, you've talked a bit about what this means for yes. you as a black woman. Um, but have you noticed if, if people who aren't black are coming to see your shows of, of any color, you know, are they reacting differently? <laughs> that's so good because, um, so part of my paper is specifically about the audience response because that's oh. what my work is for. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I lead my, uh, talkback sessions using the Liz Lerman critical response process. It's for works that are still in progress and it's for the artists to engage with the audience and the audience to engage with the artists to keep the piece um, revolving, mm-hmm. um, evolving rather. Yeah. So, um, and it goes through several parts. I think there's four or five parts, but I only really use three. I, I use one that statements of meaning, um, questions to the playwright and or through the to the performer, and then vice versa from the play the the actor or the playwright to the audience. Um, and then also um, there's a, a piece for suggestions as well as um, opinions as well. Mm-hmm. So um, we 
started, as I always start the, the process, with statements of meaning, things that stick with you. And I told you the very first thing for one of my audiences was they felt taken care of. That was a very big point. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I've noticed from, uh, it's actually usually white males that have this perspective. Um, During the piece, there is an alternative reality section during it in which we see an alternative reality of what could have happened at that traffic stop if the words were different, if they would have, um, if she wouldn't have blew her cigarette smoke in the officer's face, if he wouldn't have been so um, belligerent towards her. I mean, there's a, there's a way to pr- change the perspective. Hmm. Um, and, and and it's kind of a loud technique that you can, you know, it's like a rainbow of desire. You can stop the piece and change out the person and get a different perspective or bring in someone, like a forum theater rather, hmm. and then bring in someone uh, who can provide another perspective. So nonetheless, um, I found that during the alternative reality section, um, most of my black audiences appreciated it. Mm-hmm. It and and the reason why is because it just provided a different perspective to the officer that pulled her over. Now, white men in particular found that I gave, for lack of a better word, the white man or the villain too much voice, and oh, that he, uh, yeah, I know, and, and that he already had his voice already spoken. He's the one that's still living and walking out here, and Sandra is not. And I remember wow. having yes, yes, and I had one one audience member stand up for me, older black gentleman, this is during the Black Theater Network. He stood up and he said, "No one sees themselves as a villain in their own eyes," hmm. and because of that. I knew that that, I love that it's controversial. It starts the conversation, but it's one of those things that the officer is still a human. He Mm. may have done things that were pretty heinous, but he still has a perspective. He still has a family. He still has the, you know, and so Mm. I provided like this weird, like I said, alternative perspective, almost a monologue through his voice of what happened. Wow. And that's usually the part of the show (laughs) that sticks around with my audience the most because that's the piece where they can see themselves in the most. Right. And also you're creating you're you're create sorry, you're creating dialogue, right? Because if the if it, you know, if we're ever going to come to an understanding and if we're ever going to get along, we have to kind of see the hum, human in the other person, right? right. In order to, right. to build that bridge. Both yeah. Right. Oh, and, wow. it's, and, and, be, and because of that, um, we, and, and, and that is probably the most um, area of catharsis and empathy because we've all know what it's like to get pulled over. I mean, maybe if we've seen it get happen, but for the most part, we've all maybe have been pulled, not for anything to get a, a ticket or anything, but we may have, hey, you know, you're speeding too fast or did you fail the signal or your, your back tail light is out or we, we all know that feeling of seeing those red and blue lights behind us. We all have something about it, right? right? And so, but it's a different experience I, for white exactly. people. For and white people, it's a totally I, different experience. Yeah. Go ahead. Please, go, go. No, I was just sorry. I was just say for white people, it's a totally different experience, right? And you know, there's still fear, and you've got the there's still fear, and you've got the um, you know the the cop in the background, and you're worried because you're pulled over. But there's not you know the the issue with race. Right. That's the problem. Exactly. I remember when I was in Richmond in grad school myself, and uh, a friend of mine was visiting from DC, uh, and he's African American, and he and I were in the mm-hmm. car, and uh, he we got pulled over, 
um, in Richmond, and um, I was like, the cop came to the to the window, and immediately my friend put his hands on the dash. And I had no idea why he was doing that. I was like, what are you doing? You know, and I was belligerent with the officer. I was like, well, why did you pull me over? He's like, can I see your driver's license? I was like, why do you need to see my driver's license? I was questioning him, and my friend was shaking. My friend was shaking in the seat next to me, and I didn't, yeah. even, I didn't even realize why. That's how out of, out of it I was as a white person with the different experience. Right, and, and I think, you know, as you say you were out of it, but also, if you didn't know, you didn't know. Right. And, and I think that's part of the conversation as well, which is why I think that piece, there's a lot going on in my background, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I think that's um, why that particular point, I'm telling you, it's only five minutes of the show, maybe not even five, it's four minutes, but that piece lingered. And that was what started the dialogue. Now, when you leave these sort of um, talk back sessions you do need a facilitator that's outside of the performer because it's a like i said it's a give and take response process so you know you're taking notes you're trying to maybe have your own question to give back or maybe you just receive it and and vice versa so during that time my facilitator had to interject Mm. and and because it was it was starting some um i want i don't i don't want to say an argument but it was starting a nice back and forth with the audience because there were varying perspectives mm-hmm. on that. But then that is what this work lends to. And if I want to say the piece can evolve, it can evolve to during that part of the show, there's like a freeze. And then someone from the audience can come in and maybe play a version of Sandra or a version of the professor. Oh, I mean, wow. we have the officer rather mm-hmm. yeah. and give their own dialogue and see how that could have changed the the situation. I mean, it's pretty fascinating because this work is all about looking at the perspective, shifting views, but then also walking away with just something to be considered. Um, yes, do we want this work to change everybody for the good? Of course, sure. Mm-hmm. But the good can vary. If you don't understand, this kind of work raises awareness. That's how it should be. And so if you walk away from the show and you're wondering, well, why are black people treated this way? If that's the question you walk away with, then I've done my job as my performer and the playwright. Right. Because you're, you're walking away with something that is outside of your own general thought of, well, that only happens to those kind of people. You know, but now you're thinking, why does it happen to people that look like that? I want you to ask why. And then asking why may provoke you to then want to do something about it. Right. And if nothing so. else, at least you understand better right. the, the plight right. of another, of a fellow human being who may not be the same as you, but you get right. it and you're not so quick to judge, right? Because I think a lot of what happens in the white community is there's a lot of judgment of the victim. There's a lot of judgment of, well, if only she or he had reacted differently when the police pulled, yes. pulled them over. I hear that over and over from white people who are, you know, yeah. they mean well, but they say that and I'm kind of like... Do you not like, I mean, you know, so I, there is still a barrier there. So I think that's, that's, that, that's what your play is, is helping to pull down. Now, we've talked a lot about the Sandra Bland Project, which is a amazing piece, and I hope people look into it more. What about the other project that, that you mentioned called Being Bad? What is that about? Mm-hmm. Is that a different uh, piece? Obviously, it's a different piece, but what is it? How is it different, and what is it about? Sure, sure. So um, I, they're kind of my two babies here. So one is... 
one piece I talk about the process and one I actually perform and that is the process and I do tour and I'm currently touring Being Bad right now mm-hmm. um, so Being Bad was also developed during grad school okay yeah you were you were busy <laughs> um, in, in, in that again um, there was something calling me to um, putting a varying perspective and narrative on stage that wasn't being placed on our main stage performances sure. um and so uh, what's really unique about being bad is that it was birthed out of a class. It was a solo uh, uh, characterization class that was built on like building one person shows and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And this was um, in response to the alarming numbers of domestic violence and interpersonal or inner partner, intimate partner violence mm. in the U.S. I mean, they're, they're, the statistics are literally one in four, one in four women. Wow. Have been has been exposed, has been experiencing, has experienced either intimate partner violence or domestic violence, and it's gone um, up during this period of COVID. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I'm sure. I'm so unfortunate. And, there's less places and, to escape. Um, yeah, uh, less. I, I mean, completely less. I, I, and when I start to think about it, I mean, it really, it, it really can because I'm a, just an aesthetic kind of empathic person. Like, if I start really, mm. it, it would, it would really, it, it, it's, it's jarring a little bit so nonetheless um this piece if we want to stay with kind of like the the social movement and and, and social issue it's about looking at that me too movement and times up movement during Mm -hmm. that time and and what does it look like to amplify that voice the show is only about a 15 minute piece Hmm. and um it's in response um to um a case that happened in san bernardino california Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, her name was Karen Smith. Um, she was uh, she was a, a I want to say elementary school or preschool teacher, mm-hmm. and her estranged husband came into the room um, and shot her, and then shot himself. Wow. Um, the, and, and this came on the news in April or March of 2016 or 17, uh, 17, 2017. Um, and I, I, I how can I say this? Her narrative spoke to me because I am a survivor of intimate partner violence. What got to me, it was the reports to the police, the reports, her talking to her family, him looking like such the great, nice guy. And on the other end, not being so Mm. nice, Um, those kind of things. And what that looks like in our society of of being um not only a woman but a a christian woman that upholds and takes care of the household and plays her wifely duties and all of that and sticking through things and the stigmas that come along um with divorce but then also what comes along with gender roles in specific like what is a woman supposed to look like how are you supposed to carry yourself your hair what do you say your voice and a lot of these narratives were informed by the other women in our lives what we are our months what we saw our moms and our aunts and our sisters do and i found myself when i went through it emulating what I heard my mother say she saw through her mother. She did not have to go through that with my father, but what she saw her mother go through. And I found myself, you know, loving through the pain, trying to work it out, Mm. all those things. And so I developed this piece kind of, um, giving an homage or respect to Karen, just her, she was a very beautiful woman, very delicate, very articulate. And she was also black. Mm. And that 
is what really got to me because we already know the disparities of how the police treats black women, but let alone intimate partner violence and those numbers against race alone, which I don't know the numbers, but during, if you apply race to that, I mean, they're probably a little, uh, maybe a little scarier. Sure, there's so, so many nonetheless, layers there. So nonetheless, right. So nonetheless, the piece was in response to that. Mm. Um, and so um, it follows uh, this woman um, <clears throat> going through um, what we think is some kind of ceremony um, through this program called BAD. And you find out that um, it's graduation day and she's finally giving her speech. She's finally going through what we find is domestic violence counseling. She's finishing up this program. And the audience in this regard um, is the other graduates and participants in in the program with her so when I perform this piece when I mean I need eye contact when I I mean I mean I need engagement to get through this piece to tell these narratives because her narrative then uh shifts because she goes from using words to the words can't even formulate because the body is feeling something and you watch her physicalize through her pain and then show the redemption again calling back to the Sandra Bland piece, showed the redemption of not only not dealing with the abuse, but realizing that she can ascend past that, that she is not the abuse that Mm. she went through. And what does it look like from a visual standpoint, from the audience, to watch someone physically show the opposite of being oppressed to showing to to be liberated, Mm. um, to to show being redeemed. And it has been um, a, a piece that again, can go ahead and bring about some civil dialogue and some, some resolution. Yeah. Um, but it really is a piece that explores what does it look like to take back your power right. after years of physical and emotional abuse, not only by her family, but like her her partner as well. Wow. So yeah. yeah, it's a piece about redemption. For wow. Sure. It's really amazing how you've taken uh, two very different um scenarios two very different um things that have happened and you know versus the sandra bland versus this 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 scenario with karen that you mentioned um but you've still woven throughout sort of the the repercussions of being black and being female uh and, yeah. and what that means in our society it's brilliant and how you do it in these these pieces um what so tell us you know you mentioned this flying solo workshop uh, that yeah. you're now doing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is this something that you're doing in response to COVID or is this something you were doing before and how do people, yeah. what is it and how do people find out more? Yeah, so all of these pieces were developed through um, a sort of process of characterization um, and then also looking at time, space, memory, senses, kind of some viewpoint, like Anne Bogart, uh, viewpoint work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like I do like some checkoff, I'm just throwing out some terms a little bit, but <laughs> characterization work. But nonetheless, uh, this kind of workshop is using your narrative, your voice, your story, what you know, um, and deriving a piece or a show um, from it. Hmm. And which is what you've done, which is what you've done so successfully already. And so that you have experience with doing that. So you'd be the perfect person to teach this workshop. So what, what do people, so sorry, go ahead. But what, how do people engage no, in no, it? Okay. if they want to know online, how do they engage in, in it, in that workshop? Is it available online or is it something you teach or you teach in a group or how does it work? Right, right. So currently right now it's 
online. I've been invited. I just, I'm actually doing a two-parter with the Women's Theater Fringe Festival of North Carolina. We just did the one part actually on Thursday, hmm. which is about, um, so it's, it's a two-parter that you're, it's in the development and then it's the production. So I go through the development. How do you create a piece? So I provide exercises. Um, I also lead a group exercise on how to activate um, the material. Um, and then, uh, you know, so I provide, and I, I use a bunch of methods from that, but mostly um, it's for people who aren't even actors. You can be whoever you are. <laughs> you can be a, you can even be a dancer that comes in, but I'm pretty much laying down the foundation for what does it look like to build something from scratch, kind of devising your own solo show based off your narrative, what you know, what you're, and I always start by leading with an exercise about your passions. Mm. And then from there, um, I'm able to be able to signify or social or uh, focus in on a certain topic that you may be interested to talk about. Um, and then I ask those questions again, what do you know about this topic? What do you mm. want to know? If you were to speak about it from an expert perspective, what could you say? If you were to speak from it from a child perspective or even a novice perspective, what does that say? So, and then the second part of it is initiating this work. So how do we put it on its feet? What does it look like to create a space to tell the story in? And sometimes it can come from a first person narrative. Maybe it can come from the perspective of someone in the room. You can be a voice from it could be a singular voice with multiple perspectives or, or multiple voices coming through one vessel I mean, however you want to embody it and view it wow but the, so the workshop um is something that i can be booked to teach okay um and that's on my my website as well it's usually about a one to two day intensive and like i said before it's really using your own life experiences mm -hmm. um and it's about the process. You're not going to come out of this two-day workshop with a full-blown <laughs> no. But you're going to come out with some really strong foundational tools um, for sure. And the thing I always, always talk about is um, just that focus on finding a topic that mm. motivates you and can be sustained. Mm. Um, I love giving voices to narratives or putting voices and narratives on stage that I, I have not seen. I've been an actor for about 15 so years. There are certain narratives that I have not seen and I put those out there and those narratives just so happen to be high social talking points in society. Yeah. But then you will get someone that has not seen a play about a young woman who loves space. And what does that look like to envision outer space and how does that look like in the body? And it is my job which i love is to give that permission and the tools in order to help uh, cultivate that story mm -hmm. so that's that's pretty much flying solo wow. um and, and it's so if flying so if someone is interested in, in in signing up or calling you to kind of uh contacting you to do this workshop um do they just go to your website what is your website address and i'll put it in the bio sure. but That'd be great. So it's uh, www.brittany, which is um, B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y-S, as in Sam, harris.com. So brittanysharris.com. And then at the top, um, it's under research and outreach and all of the workshops as well as the plays that I've done and some and some um, the background on them as well as where I performed them, all their history is there as well and then of course there's a contact me and i mean i'm always available to just kind of chat if you have questions mm -hmm. um if you're interested in possibly bringing um say a show and the workshop we mm -hmm. can do that as well so you can see how it's applied right uh, 
And nowadays, with the COVID situation, everything mm-hmm. have you adapted a lot of your workshop and and work to online. Yes, it has been so unique oh, wow. because you'd be so surprised oh, how much table work isn't given. Mm. So much, so many people want to get on their feet so much. So this work kind of puts us down to develop some really nice foundations. Nice. So you can say. Wow, I have a solid something on paper. So when you put it on his feet, you can go back to track it. We all know, well, may not, but with device work, it is about um, recording it and tracking it and writing it so you can reflect on it and continue to make changes and be adapted and devised. Mm-hmm. So the way that the workshop has adapted online, it has been actually pretty unique because this work is narrative based. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these people are working on this workshop from their own homes. They're already in a place they feel safe. safe. They're not on a stage. They're not in a classroom. They're at home. So right. sometimes asking them to identify as something they're passionate about is easy because their stimuli and stimulus is already around them. You right. get what I'm saying? Yeah, they're so safe. The they're safe at home. Yeah. They're safe, right. So and rather than me trying to create the safe space in a classroom or a work mm. or a studio setting, Interesting. they're already home. Right. So then when it gets to the production part, this is when things can get a little tricky when we put things on its feet. Mm-hmm. But this idea of the imagination is when that really plays into. Um, of course, you know, you're not going to probably have a full-fledged production at home, let alone on a stage <laughs> or a solo show. Yeah. However, um, it does allow you to utilize what you have. Right. Um, this idea of understanding what space looks like in the imagination and how do you mm. um, put that externally out there. I mean, it's really neat. So that's been really cool adjusting to, but this workshop has worked really well with COVID. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. And also not just individuals and people and groups, but if a college or university wants to reach out to you to teach a class or to be, I know you already are a professor, full-time professor at at, at ODU, but if someone wanted to bring you in uh, over Zoom or over the internet to teach one of these workshops on a weekend or to do it on a, whenever you have some free time, you're open to that as well, right? Because this needs to spread Absolutely. (laughs) It's not just your ODU students that get the benefit. We want uh, other (laughs) students may want it as well. Uh, And it sounds fascinating. You know, Brittany, the work that you're doing is so great and so uh, inspiring, especially in these days of of social, what I hope is social change. And uh, the theater can be a part of that and can continue to be a part of that, even if we're on a slight pause with live performing right now. Even your shows that are one-person shows Perhaps uh, those are a little easier to develop, and they may be some of the first ones to come to come out uh, and to start being performed too. So, you know, rather than the big musicals, which is uh, you know logistical nightmare uh, in times of COVID, <laughs> you know, a one-person show uh, about something really meaningful like this that could be performed outside. The, you know, there's options too yes. for stuff. And while it's marinating, and you've given it this full time to marinate as well, while people are thinking in their homes about it, Brittany, this has been. Been wonderful we're out of time but yeah. it's just been it's gone so fast I, I just looked over at my clock and i can't believe how quickly it's gone because it's been so fascinating to talk to you thank you thank well, you thank so you for much. having me yeah and thank you for agreeing to be here and you know we'll keep following you and if people want to follow you on social media do you do that as well or is it just your website or? yeah i do and it's, and, it's, and it's just my name i am Brittany s harris <laughs> it's really Perfect. easy to find easy. me Good. So if people want to follow you and reach out to you or, or just direct message you or whatever, they can do that as well, right? They sure can. 
Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Britt, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful uh, to have you here. And I hope to have you back because there's more to talk about. <laughs> Oh, and I would love to. If you ever have like a panel or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm definitely here. I, I, I love know. It. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much, Brittany. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>